I want you to get your Bibles together. We're in this series called Celebrate, and we're looking at these Jewish celebrations that God gave the Jewish people that taught about him and pointed to his son and teaches us some great truths about our salvation, as you're going to see again even today. Now, to prepare this, I want you to think about something. I recently uh, was shared with some uh, research was shared with me uh, that asked this question. I want you to think about it. You have to ponder it for a moment. Ask this question, why is the suicide rate in developed industrialized countries like America so much higher than it is in third world countries or undeveloped countries? Why is the suicide rate so much higher in a developed country than in an undeveloped country? And when, you do the re- when they did the research, they came out with this theory, and one of the possible theories is this. The people who live in undeveloped countries, in third world countries, they get up every morning with a purpose to live for. Every morning they get up with a purpose of just to survive. I mean, think about it. Those who wake up in undeveloped countries of the world, they get up every morning and wonder where their meals will come from that day. They, They generally live day to day. They are wondering where they're going to go to work that day. Are they going to get hired out in the fields? Are they going to make enough income to provide for their family that day? Can they protect their family from the chaos in the culture? Can they protect their families from lawlessness in that country? Can they take care of their children? And so every day, here's what the research says. Every day, the people get up and they have a sense of a purpose for living. They're living for survival. You take then and look at us, and you look at developed countries and industrialized countries. We don't have that same battle every day. We're not getting up every day with a purpose of survival. That's all been taken away with. I would would dare say there wasn't a single one of us who woke up this morning wondering, am I going to eat today? Am I going to have food today? Am I going to be able to provide food for my children? Where am I going to go work at today? Who's going to hire me out of the market uh, am I going to be able to provide? None of us worried about that. In fact, we, we didn't worry about if we were going to eat this morning. We wondered what meal we would eat this morning because we have all the options in the refrigerator. Can somebody say amen? You know what I'm talking about. In the vault household, it's usually mornings go like this. Me and my wife wake up really early. We lay there. We toss and turn because we're waiting to see who's the first one out of bed because the first one out of bed has got to start the coffee maker and turn on the bacon. Right? It's not if we're going to eat today, it's who's going to do the cooking. And usually I'm hangry when I wake up in the morning, so I get on up and turn on the coffee pot and start the baking. Come on, is anybody with me today? We're not worried about survival. We're just worried about, you know, what option are we going to eat today? We're not worried about if we're going to have a day, a job today to provide. We're worrying about, am I going to be able to save and put enough back in my 401k that for 30 years at the end of my life, I don't have to worry about working. It's totally different for us. And so here's what the research says. Here's what the research says. We've lost the purpose for living. And when you've lost the purpose of getting up every day and surviving, you start living your life by the opinions of others. And we start watching how everyone else lives and we start developing this false utopia of of a world we think is the perfect world to live in. And we look at everyone else's 15 seconds of fame on social media and we think that's what their real life's like and they're only showing you what they want to show you. They're showing you a snapshot. It's not the movie of their life. And we're watching all of this and we judge ourselves and our values by everyone else. And so we lose purpose and identity 
And the research says that's, that's a big part of our problem with even some of our mental health in our country. Think about that. Well, today I want to tell you, God has a purpose for you. In fact, it doesn't matter if you're in a developed country or watching online from an undeveloped country. It doesn't matter if you're young or you're old, if, if you're high on the socioeconomic level or low. It, it doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what your family dynamics look like. I can promise you God's word tells us God has a purpose and a plan for every single one of you. And God's plan, write this down, is he desires for you to be conformed into the image of his son Jesus. God wants you to grow and be like Jesus. Now listen, I know that you may have some individual uh, uh, plans God has for you. God may have an individual uh, uh, idea for you and your life and career. Listen, I get all that. I can tell you this. This one go trumps all the others. This is more important than what college you're going to go to, more important what career you will follow, more important whether or not you go into the vocational ministry or not. It's more important than even who you marry. God has one desire. All those other things can come and go. One desire God has for you. God wants you to grow and become like his son Jesus. God wants you to look like his son Jesus. Jesus is the only perfect human who ever lived. How many know he's already out of our stratosphere? <laughs> but God gave us a model to live by. Amen? Amen. He's given us someone to look up to and say, that's what a perfect human being looks like. He's given us this model. And so God has given us desire. And today you're actually going to see this in this festival we're about to get into. And it's, it's going to be incredible because listen, here's what I know about all of us. If we want to become more like Jesus, and by the way, how many do? Yeah, I do too. If we want to be more like Jesus, here's what we want. We want it to be easy. But can I tell you the truth? It's going to be difficult. And we want it to be quick. But can I tell you the truth? It's going to take a lifetime. So look at the person beside you and tell them, give me some grace. Tell the person on behind you or in front of you and say, you're going to have to give me some grace. Because if I'm going to look more like Jesus, look, look at me, look at me. If this is what God's got to work with to make it look more like Jesus, it's going to take a while. Thank God for grace, amen? So online, go ahead and tell your neighbor, they're gonna have to have some grace too. We, we, it's gonna take a lifetime to become more like Jesus. And thank God, God knows that. And so this purpose, this plan that God has for you to become like his son is gonna take a lifetime. And there's an illustration of this right here in this table. Last week, you know, we talked about Passover. And in Passover, there are four cups of wine on the table. And if you're just as recap, this is commemorating back 3,500 years to when God delivered Israel out of Egypt. They've been in bondage to Egypt for 430 years. God had them do some really strange things. Take a little lamb into their house for four days. On the fourth day, slaughter the lamb, eat the lamb, share the lamb with their neighbors. Take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost of the house. That night, God said, I'm coming through Egypt, and I'm going to judge Egypt, and they will set you free. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to eat the bread and eat the meal with your shoes on and get ready, because when I come through town and when they set you free, you got to be ready to go. And so that's exactly what happened. God came through where the blood of the lamb was. God's judgment passed over. 
Go 2,000 years in the past now to Jesus sitting at a table having the Last Supper with his disciples. And Jesus took the first cup of Passover and said, I am the one who is going to set you free from the bondage of your sin. In other words, Jesus said, you remember the Passover lamb back in Egypt when God delivered Israel out of Egypt? I'm telling you, I am the Passover lamb. Jesus was saying, I am the one. I'm the lamb of God. And my blood, if you trust in me, is going to set you free, not from Egypt, but from the bondage of sin. And you can be restored to God. Because I, he took the second cup, am going to take the wrath of God and I'm going to rescue you. And the wrath of your sin and the wrath of God's judgment is going to be put on me and on his body on the cross, Jesus bore your sin debt. You were rescued. Then Jesus took the third cup and said, this is the cup in which I will redeem you. And I'm going to restore you to peace with God the Father because of my blood. I'm going to be the one in the middle. I'm the one that's going to pay the debt. And you, if you'll trust me, my blood's going to be applied to you and you will be redeemed. And if you're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, there's only one cup left to drink from. And that's the cup of praise and the cup of gratitude and the cup that says, thank you, God, that through the blood of the Lamb, I've been forgiven and I have been accepted. By the way, is there anyone in this room today who can say your sins have been forgiven and you've been accepted to God because of the blood of Jesus Christ? Can you praise him for that? Can you acknowledge God today? We lift up this fourth cup of praise to you because of what you did. Well, listen. That wasn't the end. That was the end of Passover meal. They celebrated that. Jesus, his blood sets us free from our sin, commemorating being set free from Egypt. But then the scripture says on that very evening, another festival would begin. In fact, the 14th day of Nisan is when Passover was. But in the Jewish calendar, watch this, their new day starts at 6 p.m. in the evening. And at evening at that dinner table starts the 15th day of Nisan. And on the 15th day of Nisan, a new celebration started that would last for seven days. Shout seven. Number of perfection. Seven days. And this one's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now remember, unleavened bread's already there on the Passover table, right? Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave it. What was he doing? He was acknowledging even that he was the bread of heaven, the unleavened bread. Here's what uh, Jewish people, watch this, for hundreds and hundreds of years have been doing and never saw Jesus in it. And when I describe what they do at this celebration, I believe many of you in this room and online are going to say, uh-oh, I see the gospel. You ready? First thing they would do is they would take a linen bag with three loaves of unleavened bread inside of it. This is interesting because unleavened bread, remember when God told them to eat the Passover, he says, tonight when I set you free, you will not have time for the bread to rise, so don't put any yeast in it. Don't put any leaven in it. By the way, yeast is a fungus, and it only takes a little to spread through the whole dough. God says you don't have time for it to spread. You don't have time for it to rise. Eat with your shoes on, because when they set you free tonight, you got to be ready to go. So you got to eat your bread without it rising with yeast. Unleavened bread. 
And here's the deal. There are three loaves inside. Another key interesting piece about this unleavened bread is every piece is striped and it has holes pierced through it. If you know what Isaiah says is that the Messiah would be striped. By his stripes we are healed and he would be pierced for our transgressions. And there are three here. And here's something interesting that Jewish people have done for hundreds of years. Watch this. They don't take the top piece. They don't take the bottom piece. They take the second, the middle piece, and take it out from the linen bag, put the linen bag back. And then they take this third piece and they break it. After it's broken, they take another linen cloth and they wrap this broken piece of matzah, unleavened bread, they wrap it, they bury it. It's called the afikamim. And it means this, that which shall come later. And they take this afikamim, the second piece, and they go and they hide it somewhere in the house. They bury it. And then they come back and enjoy the meal. Somewhere in the dinner, the uh, house leader, the, home, uh, the leader of the home would say up at the table, hey, children, go find the Africum. Go find the unleavened bread that's been buried in the linen cloth. And the children would go and they'd search through the house, play a good game of hide and seek. God's okay with celebrations and parties, y'all. They're having a good time. And then one of the children would find the Africum and bring it back. And he would say, I found it. I found it. I found it. To the one who found it, a gift was given. He got a present. And then he would unwrap the unleavened bread. Watch this. He would take a bite for himself. And then he would start tearing it apart and sharing it with everyone else at the table. And they would share. What do we see here? What do you see in this picture? You who know the gospel of Jesus Christ, what do you see? 2,000 years ago when Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, and he began to give it out. He, the, pa- the Passover lamb of God, was also saying, I am the bread And what was he saying? He was saying, I am the second member of the Trinity. How many loaves of bread wrapped up in the linen bag? Three. If you understand God, God is one God, but yet he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You've got three three unleavened breads, three without sin, because yeast in this ceremony was representative of the bondage of Egypt. And for us, we would say it's the bondage to sin. A little fungus that infects the whole dough, right? Come on, somebody. And then he would take not the top, not the bottom, but the middle piece out. Who's the second member of the Trinity? It's Jesus Christ, God the Son. And what did Jesus do? He left the glory of the Father and he came to earth and he became a man. And what did did they do to his body at the cross? They broke his body. His body was broken and it was buried with linen in a tomb for three days. Now you don't find God, he finds you. But when you realize that you are a sinner and you need the Savior and you put your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, what happens? You receive a gift. The gift of eternal life and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
to live for the Lord. Now, let me ask you a question. You who are saved by the blood of the Lamb, when you receive the bread of life, which is Jesus, the resurrected Son of God, when you receive the Lord, what are you and I supposed to do with Jesus now? This is why in our church, we'll never allow ourselves the best of our ability to become interfocused. Why? What do you do with the bread of life after you've received it for yourself personally? You're to share it with other people. We have to always be sharing the Passover lamb and the bread of life. Somebody shout the name of Jesus. Do you see what's happening here? This is another picture of our salvation, that Christ, the Son of God, came down to earth, a sinless Son of God. He was broken. He was buried. And when you receive him, you share him with others and you receive a gift, not only the gift of eternal life, but the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower you to live the Christian life, to follow Christ and to make him known to others. But why buried? Why buried? What is the significance here with unleavened bread being buried? When we baptize people, and we will baptize next Sunday, by the way, if you're ready for baptism. If you've been saved, that's your next step of faith. Declare it publicly through baptism. We quote a verse out of the book of Corinthians over you. When we're, bear, when we're bearing you and baptizing, I know worship's going on, you don't hear us, but here's what we're saying over the people who are being baptized. You are buried with Christ and you are raised to walk in a new life. Because here's what the scriptures teaches us. Through the blood of the lamb, the sin's hold has been broken. And our sins have been buried in Christ just as Christ's body was buried. And when Jesus came up out of that grave, Corinthians says, you who are in Christ Jesus, the old is gone. The old man's been buried. The sin nature's been buried. And we become new creations in Christ Jesus. Anybody thankful today that the old is gone and the new has come in Christ? Your sins have been buried with Christ. You are a new creation. That's what this table reminds us of. Now think about this. This is 3,500 years ago. They, they, they don't even know who the Messiah is. They haven't met him yet. We, we who are in Christ Jesus, do you see how blessed we are to be in the day and age in which we live in? We know who the sacrificial lamb is of Passover and that he has forgiven us of our sins if we receive him by faith. And we know today that our sins have been buried with Christ. Do you know what the Bible says in the book of Psalms? If your sins are Buried in the Lord. If your sins are forgiven, he casts them as far as the east is from the west. How many thank God your sins are never brought back against you again? When you're in Christ, your sins are forgiven. The only person that ever brings them back up is you or the devil uses somebody else to remind you of your past. Here's what I want you to, here's what I want you to do. This is tweetable, by the way. You think about this. What God has forgiven, you don't have the right to bring back up. The old man is gone, and the new man has come. Amen? This is the gospel. This is the promise. So what happens here? Our old leaven, they had to leave the table, and now for seven days they're going to celebrate this, that the sins have been buried there. Now here's what I want you to see. This table is going to teach us a principle that happens that's going to be lifelong for the rest of your life if you're a Christian. It's living a life of repentance. Everybody shout that word with me, repentance. 
Repentance is different than confession. When you confess Christ as Lord, you're telling the Lord, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. I can't save myself. That's confessing. When you confess your sin, you're acknowledging your sin. Repentance isn't asking God to forgive you. Repentance isn't confessing. Repentance is changing the way you live. From now on, I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. I'm not working myself to be saved. From now on, I should work to show that I've been saved. Does that make sense? You're saved through the blood of the Lamb, but after you've been saved, now comes the work. Now comes the hard work. Now it's time to make sure I got all the leaven out so the world sees that my sins have been buried in Christ and I am a new man in Christ Jesus. Let me show it to you in the scriptures. What we're talking about here is a fancy word called sanctification. Just write this down. It means we're going to be set apart. And after you come and receive Christ, we're to be set apart. Notice Leviticus 23 here on the screen. The festival of unleavened bread to the Lord is on the 15th day of the same month. Shout seven days. You eat what? Unleavened bread. Not leavened bread, unleavened bread. Why? Because remember the leaven represented Egypt in bondage. And this comes after the Passover, not before the Passover. You've received the blood of the lamb. You've been passed over of judgment. Now, for the next seven days, you need to not allow any yeast back in. On the first day, you're to hold a sacred assembly. Read this next line with me. You're not to do any daily work. Look at the next verse. You're to present a food offering. Shout an offering to the Lord for seven days. And on the seventh day, there'll be a sacred assembly where you don't do any work. Now, I gotta tell you, just like I did the other two experiences, this doesn't mean you get to call your boss tomorrow and say, hey, I'm celebrating unleavened bread. I don't have to work today, God said. Doesn't work that way. This is a picture for you, all right? When it says not do any work, you know what he's talking about now in Christ is you can't work for your salvation. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight says this, you are saved by grace, lest any man should boast. You can't work your way to heaven. If you could, the cross of Christ was a cruel joke. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't earn your salvation. You receive the gift of God through the blood of his son. But after you've been saved, now's when the work starts. The work starts after Passover. Now it's time to check ourselves. If we're going to grow and become like Christ, watch this, watch this, watch this. You don't ask God to forgive you of sin and you keep living in the same old sin he just saved you out of. When we ask God to forgive us of our sin, now you put your shoes on and you walk away from the sin and the bondage that held you down when you cried out to the Lord. Now for the next seven days, the Jewish people will eat unleavened bread and they'll remember the night God set them free and how they couldn't bring any yeast into the house and they won't allow the yeast back in because God knew he had to get Egypt out of them and get them out of Egypt. It's the same way with us and our sin. So here's what the table teaches us. Write this down. First of all, that for the next, so what they would do for seven days, but there's a principle here, and the principle is we need to have ongoing examination of our soul. We need to come and look at ourselves on a regular basis after we've been saved and say, okay, am I allowing any sin to creep back in and put me back in bondage? Is there any unforgiveness still creeping up in my life? Is there any lust 
that is trying to take over my life? Is there any addiction that's trying to raise itself back up and take control of my life? Is there any anger that I haven't dealt with? Is there any greed or pride or selfishness that's slipping back in and changing my personality and turning me back to my old self? This is what God is telling them to do, is to eat the unleavened bread. And so they're constantly being reminded to examine themselves and make sure they're not letting Egypt come back and take over. And that's something that you and I are going to have to work on for the rest of our lives because we've been saved and set free. doesn't mean we can't be tempted. We still have this flesh to fight. But here's the good news of the gospel. Because of Christ, you're no longer a slave to that flesh. But it doesn't mean you don't get to fight it. No. We want it easy, but it's going to be difficult. We want it quick, but it's going to take how long? It's going to take a lifetime. In fact, the Jewish people came up with a uh, a tradition. Oh, this is so amazing. They came up with this tradition to help illustrate this during this time of the year. So getting ready for Passover and unleavened bread, a Jewish family will sweep their house and try to find all the yeast and sweep all the yeast out of their house because the yeast represents the bondage that they've been set free from and they'll sweep the house. Later, tradition came in that the mama would start leaving little specks of yeast in the house after she swept the house. She would drop a couple here and over there in the corner and behind the cupboard. Drop a few pieces. The father would then come in and light a candle, take a feather, a wooden spoon, and a linen cloth, and with his children, they would walk around the house and play, play find the yeast. And he would take the candle and look in the corners and in the cracks and in the crevices. And when they'd find the yeast and the children would yell, I found some, I found some. The father would come over there, watch this, take the candle that illuminated where the problem was. Take his feather and his wooden spoon and sweep up the yeast, then put the feather on top of the yeast and the spoon, take his linen rag and wrap or bury the problem, take it to the priest and they throw it in a fire to sacrifice it as unto the Lord. What is this picture? When you become a Christian, when you come to faith in Christ, the Bible says you're born again. But you got to be born again by the Holy Spirit and by faith in Christ alone. So God puts inside you the Holy Spirit. Guess what? There's a house now that's going to need cleaning. Guess whose house? Your house. Because the Bible says you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit of God moves in at salvation. And the Holy Spirit's going to do something when he comes in your house. Some of you already know what I'm talking about because you've been experiencing this. He starts cleaning house. How many of you, after you became a Christian, all of a sudden, some things you were doing that didn't bother you before Christ now convict you? That's the Holy Spirit bringing conviction, right? And he's cleaning house. It's not because you're not saved. It's because you are. It's not because he doesn't love you. It's because he does. And what he's wanting is he's not wanting the bondage of sin to hold you down anymore. And so the Holy Spirit comes in 
and he begins to sweep the house and the Holy Spirit's like a fire. He illuminates the problem. And then we take the word of God. This is the reason as a Christian, you need to be studying the word of God because Psalm 119 says, the word of the Lord is like a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God working in conjunction together begin to reveal to you the areas of sin in your life. And then 1 John says, when you see that sin in your life, you should confess it to the Lord who's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. When you do that, here's what's happening. You're taking that sin and allowing the grace of God to sweep it up back into the wooden spoon representing the cross where your sins were paid. And when you confess it to the Lord, you're offering it back to God like an offering. Trusting that your sins have all been buried in Christ alone. Past, present, future. Jesus, Hebrews says, only had to die on the cross once. He will never die on the cross a second time. He was only buried once. He'll never be buried a second time. He came up out of the grave, conquering the power of sin. This is why you don't get re-saved every time you mess up. How many know some of you be getting saved 20 times a day? Look at your neighbor and shout, thank God for the grace of God for you. Amen. Not going to tell you about how many times it would count for me. Why? He's already broke the bond. Now you bring your sin to the Lord. You confess it. And he forgives it. This table is to remind you that once you've been set free in Christ, you have a purpose now to become like Jesus. And you can. It's going to take ongoing evaluations. And secondly, it's going to require you to make some good decisions. But you can make good decisions now because of Christ. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit and how he convicts us. And all of a sudden now you have a power source inside you to make good decisions. To be holy. To offer your sin to the Lord on a daily basis. For seven days they would offer a thanksgiving offering to the Lord. Every day we should come to the Lord and pray the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 139. Create in me, O God, a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 with me for a moment. There's three key things here that I want us to see. Three practical ways for you and I to examine our heart and make good decisions. Why is this so important? It's because God who has set you free. How many is free in Jesus? God doesn't ever want you to get bound up in sin again. He wants you to live free. So here's how we do it. Ephesians chapter 4. Three, three areas here that I want you to see. First of all, he says this, take off your former way of life, the old self that's crucified by deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity in the truth. Three things here. First thing, circle this, take off. Somebody shout that with me out loud. Ready online? Come on. Take off that former self. In other words, after you've been saved, you've been set free. Don't go back and live the way you were. Don't go back to that old person. Don't go back to that old sin. Don't go back to that old lifestyle. Let the Holy Spirit regenerate you and give you a new life. 
Maybe it'll make, you have to make some new friend groups. Maybe you've got to make some decisions, hard decisions about your life, where you're going to go, what you're going to do. But don't go back to the same old sin God just saved you out of. You've been free, now live free. Take off that old man and then be renewed. Circle that. Be renewed in your mind. How? Romans 12 says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind through the word of God. Get into his word. Let it transform you. Now uh, be set free and start to live free. Change the way you think. And then thirdly, circle this, put on that new man. Put on the new man that's in Christ Jesus. That has been set free. Changed how you see yourself. The devil will remind you of your past and tell you why you're not good enough. But go back to the cross. Go back to Passover. Go back to unleavened bread. Go back to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for you. And let it remind you, it's not about you being worthy. It's about him loving you so much that he gave himself for you. That if you trust him, he receives you. It's not up to you. It's not about you. It's all about his love for you. Come back to Christ and realize, honestly, none of us are worthy of this. If we were, we couldn't sing the song Gratitude that we sang a moment ago, could we? And really mean it? The word song Gratitude should mean a whole lot more to us when you realize he saved us by his grace and his grace alone. Now, I work to not allow the old leaven to come back and hold me in bondage, not so I can be saved, but because I've been saved. How many have realized that after you came to Christ, he changed your want to? Someone said, if you believe that you're saved by grace and not works, you'd sin all you want to. Brother, I sin all I want to. I don't want to. You hear me? He changed my want to. Why would you want to sin against a God who would save you with such amazing grace? Amen? So God's giving you some tools to help you. Here they are. Write them down. He's giving you his word. He's giving you his Holy Spirit. If you're in Christ, he's given you the gift of prayer and solitude. And I challenge you, I encourage you to use the gift of prayer and solitude. Call on the Lord daily. It's not a form. It's not a ceremony. It's not some recited words. It is communication. It's calling out on the Lord. And get alone with God and let God speak back. He's giving you a spiritual family. Do you understand why we need to live out our faith in a community? Because it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. And it's not going to be quick. It's going to take a lifetime. And we need each other to help sharpen one another in the faith. Amen? All this today is, comes down to this big takeaway. And I want you to grab a hold of this. I'm amazed when I look at these feasts and, and I see what Jesus has done for us right here in these feasts, how Jesus' blood is the only way that we're restored to a right relationship with God. His sacrifice, His alone. But when we come to unleavened bread, to be reminded that now my job is to come and to make sure no yeast gets back into me and holds me in bondage because God doesn't want me in bondage anymore and he doesn't want you in bondage anymore. And if we have this beautiful goal now to live and become more like Jesus, here's what I want you to write down. Here's what I want you to grab a hold of is that we can celebrate, we can have a heart, we can come to the table of God and we can celebrate that Christ has set us free. He's broken the power of sin over us so that we can become 
like Jesus. Amen? It's been broken. Sin's back has been broken because of Jesus. Are you going to be tempted? Absolutely. But you know what? That old devil doesn't have a hold on you anymore if you're born again, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. You're going to be in a fight for the rest of your lives to live like Jesus. And some days you're going to mess it up royally. Isn't it good to know that you can call upon the name of the Lord and he'll cleanse you right then and there and bury that sin with Jesus' tomb? It's buried. It's already done. And you can be restored and refreshed. God will say, get up out of that clay. Get up out of that mud, bro. You still got a long journey ahead of you. This is just part of the process. Amen? He's still working on us. Don't allow sin to hold you down. Don't give in to sin. Don't give in to temptation. Don't allow it come back and hold you back in bondage. I want you to look at Galatians chapter 5 and stand with me as we're going to read it out loud together. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. Come on online campus. Read this with me. Ready? Every voice in the house. Come on. So Christ has truly set us free. Now, Make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. You know, for the Jewish people, they were constantly being told, oh, Christ isn't enough. You got to go back and add the Jewish festivals and the law requirements. You got to have the law and Christ. And Paul's telling these Hebrew Christians, no, you don't. Christ is the fulfillment. We don't have to celebrate these feasts the way the Jewish people celebrate them, but we can learn from them. We can see Jesus in it. We can realize that our sins have been buried and that what we do from this day forward is we keep a good eye on our own soul and make sure we don't let no sin creep back in and hold us back in bondage because we are free people. Amen? Somebody shout, I'm free. You need to get that in your head because sometimes the devil's going to say, I got you. And you need to say, no, you don't. I'm free. I'm free in Jesus. Amen.